Welcome to Red Leg Nation Radio, your home for discussion and analysis of Cincinnati Reds baseball all year long. Now here's your host, Chad Dotson. Hello everyone, welcome back to Red Leg Nation Radio. This is episode number 292 of the world's, yeah, it's still the most dangerous podcast, although I'm afraid someone's catching up. I'm not sure who it will be. Satchel Page told me not to look back because someone might be gaining on me. I'm Chad Dotson, by the way. Um... The worst intro to the podcast yet? Perhaps. Let's ask our guest this week from RedsMinorLeagues.com and RedLegNation.com, Doug Gray. How are you today, Doug? I mean, I I'm fine. I don't I don't really know about that introduction though. That was uh, that was that was a lot of different directions you took there, Chad. Oh man, listen, I've been working on that for all week since last week. I've been putting together oh. this intro, so man, I, it went exactly the way I wanted it to go. Well, well then, bravo. <laughs> yeah, something like that. So it's the off season for you know all but uh, three teams at this point, and uh, not a whole lot of news, as you and I discussed before we uh, started recording, but there's a few, there are a few things that uh, we in the headlines that we want to talk about in, in Red's land. The first one, and I didn't mention this one to you, is, is one that we were going to discuss, but let's go ahead and do it, because I'll forget it if I, don't, uh, if I don't mention it now. The Philadelphia Phillies are down to three managerial candidates after firing Gabe Kapler. Um, one of those three is Dusty Baker. We don't have to get into this very deeply, but former Reds manager Dusty Baker, are you surprised at that? I mean, I am because, yeah, for some reason, half the people I follow on Twitter are Phillies fans. So I actually do get a lot of, like, Phillies baseball information, even though I'm not exactly seeking it out like I would be Reds information. And I remember when they hired Kapler, it seemed like their entire philosophy was to go more analytical and try and catch up, so to speak, with the rest of baseball. And, well, a year later, here we are, and they're going the exact opposite direction of that. And it, it just seems like everybody's saying that this feels more like a an ownership kind of hire rather than a general manager hire. Um, yeah, that's that's the point I was going to make, is that it looks to me like something we would have expected out of Bob Castellini in the last few years. They said that uh, the management did not want to fire Kapler, but uh, ownership kind of overruled them. And uh, and gave him the uh, the old heave ho, and so uh, th- this does sort of reek of that. You know, Dusty Baker has his, you know, uh, he he does some things well. So uh, and he seems like a good guy. Whatever, I'm glad he's back with another team. We'll say it that hey. way. Uh, yeah, I mean, let's let's all be honest. Dusty Baker wins wherever he goes. Now he's always had elite level talent everywhere he's gone, but I mean he's I mean he hasn't won a World Series, but he's won a whole lot of ball games. So you give him a good team, it seems like when you do that, he doesn't mess it up. Well, he's the guy that would frustrate you every single day by the dumb things he did that we know in 2019 are not the not the way to manage. But I absolutely will buy into the, the argument that he's got some kind of voodoo that works, uh, at least in the regular season, in terms of getting people to want to play for him and getting the best out of players. Uh, I, don't, I think that's clear. I, I, I think his career has shown us that. But then when it gets to the, uh, the the postseason and you have to, you know, uh, maybe the st- strategy is a little bit more important. Uh, yeah, well, we saw what happened when he, when he was with the Reds. He got him there some. So yeah. uh, let's talk about the headlines in the Reds world, or, or as, as we like to call it, Red Leg Nation. <laughs> you all right with that? I see what you did there. Oh, I like yeah, that. All right. Uh, the Reds, uh, this was a, now this was a strange signing. The Reds claimed... Uh, Josh Smith, pitcher Josh Smith off waivers 
and designated for assignment catcher Juan Gratterall. Josh Smith, why would they sign that big right-handed starting pitcher they used to have, Josh Smith? Uh, yeah, it's funny you mentioned that because when they when that movie was announced, I was like, oh, he's coming back. Not the same Josh Smith. Ah, lefty this uh, time around. Lefty reliever this time, yeah. Is, is it possible that it's the same Josh Smith? He just decided to start throwing with the, with the other hand? Perhaps he's amphibious, as they say? I mean, it could be. Uh, the, the Reds could be lying to me and sharing the wrong picture to trick me. I have not seen this person before, like, in front of me. Because I know, I know what the other Josh Smith looks like. I've seen right. him. So it's possible, but I feel like it'd be very tricky if the Reds were doing that for everybody. Now, if this is the biggest signing uh, that the Reds make all winter long, claiming Josh Smith off waivers, a left-handed reliever, 30 years old, I think, right? Yes. Um, if that's the biggest uh, <laughs> transaction of the offseason, we're in trouble. Um, yeah, there there will be riots. But it's the biggest one of this week, and you know, I don't know. Is there anything really to make of it? Just the Reds picking up some uh, some depth? No, not really. I mean, it's it, there was a guy that was available, and he was better than the fortieth man on the roster. Might as well improve, even if it's just a little bit, because why not? You should always be trying to improve your roster, right? Oh, absolutely. E- even if it's just a little itty bitty bit. If the opportunity's there, why wouldn't you take it? And the Reds felt that it was. You know, that's kind of like the argument that everyone used to make uh, with respect to Dusty Baker's lineups, which is, well, lineups don't matter that much, which is true. They don't matter that much. But if you can't, if you, if you have a chance to improve your team even marginally, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you improve it as much as you can in all areas? So, um, Josh Smith is better than I don't know, Wandy Peralta, perhaps. So. Uh, Welcome to Cincinnati, Josh Smith. You may never come to actually to Cincinnati. I don't know. But uh, you're here now. I was with Cleveland and Miami last year and also in AAA. So that was uh, the the one big transaction. Other news from the week. Sonny Gray. Of course, the Reds acquired him in a trade last offseason with the New York Yankees <laughs> because the Yankees gave up on him. And now Sonny Gray is a finalist for the much-exalted, very impressive Major League Baseball Comeback Player of the Year. That's the National League Comeback Player of the Year award. How exciting is that? I mean, on one hand, it's awesome because that means you had a good season. And Sonny Gray had a very good season. On the other hand, he's the only guy that's nominated who wasn't injured last year. So he's just nominated because he had a really bad season the last year. Now, fortunately, that wasn't for the Reds. And that season is why he is a Red now. And that's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I would love to see uh, Sonny Gray. Uh, obviously, we, we know what kind of a year he had, 2.87 ERA, uh, 31 starts. I think he uh, pitched a no-hitter in every start, I believe. Um, I'll have to check my numbers on that. May not, that may not be accurate. Let's just go with it. <laughs> but let's go with it. So uh, they're going to get those out, uh, I think, starting uh, next week or so. Is that right? Yes. The uh, th- This is not a writer's voted award. This is given out by the Major League Baseball Players Association. And all of the awards that they vote on, they, they're all coming out next week. Um, it, I don't think it's actually been announced, and if it has, I just haven't seen it. But I did look for it, uh, which days, which awards were going to go out. But they will they will be coming out next week. So we'll know soon enough. This will surprise our viewers here at Red Leg Nation Radio, but uh, I, I, I'm not a member of the Major League Baseball Players Association. and so I, What? I did not get to vote on this. I would have voted for Sonny Gray, but yeah, I'm not a... A, a, a member of the Major League Baseball Players Association. They never asked me to be a member. Huh. Mostly I mean, because I'm not a, I've never been a player. I, I couldn't even get into the Little League Baseball Players Association. I'm not sure that it's legal for them to have an association for Little hey, listen, League. Are, are we going to sit and argue about what's legal and what's not? I mean, is that a conversation you want to have with me, Doug Gray? 
I mean, I don't want to, but I mean, maybe we have to. Ooh, wow. You're uh, biting off more you can chew there, young man. You are absolutely correct. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm not going to argue with you about the Arizona Fall League here in a moment, um, because I'll recognize expertise. Um, Before we started getting into the Arizona Fall League, and that's one of the things I wanted to talk to Doug about, because there's a couple of pretty interesting storylines out of there that I think are fun for us to talk about, including one guy that I'm just, uh, one Reds prospect that I'm desperately falling even more in love with. But uh, before we do that, uh, tell me about this story this week. Uh, Michael Lorenzen, uh, he's a pitcher for the Reds. He's also a center fielder and a pinch runner. And uh, evidently he had some kind of a conversation uh, in the last part of the year with Trevor Bauer, also a Reds uh, Reds pitcher. And, uh, and they were like, and Bauer says, dude, you're like losing uh, velocity. You, you could make a couple changes here and get some more velocity. And so, Lorenzen says he's going to, uh, that's his goal, is to try to uh, throw harder. Can you tell me more about that story? I mean, Bobby Nightingale talked with him, uh, and yeah, apparently Lorenzen believes that he can add two to three miles per hour to his fastball. Now, you know, everybody's got this idea that, you know, Aroldis Chapman throws a million miles an hour still today, and he, he doesn't. He, surprisingly to me, like I still expect, I knew he still threw hard, but I expect him to be at the top of the leaderboard, and he's not anymore. Uh, he's he's second. Well, if Michael Lorenzen, who rated he was rated 16th in all of baseball oh, wow. of pitchers that threw uh, 50 innings, yeah. so 149 guys, Michael Lorenzen was 16th. If he adds two miles an hour to his fastball, he'll top the list for hardest thrower in baseball. Now maybe not, you know, the top top like hardest pitch, but average fastball, he'd jump to the very top of the list if he added two miles per hour to where he was this year. I mean th- that's a pretty big jump and i mean i'm not going to put it past michael renzen i don't know about you chad but uh, i feel like if he puts his mind to something he'd probably do it anything right yeah i mean he's insanely athletic the the shape he's in is i mean i don't need to tell anybody about that um i mean yeah i'm excited i'm excited to see what happens <laughs> right I, I don't uh i'm not gonna bet the ranch on it happening but i'm, I'm the same as you i'm not gonna bet against michael lorenzen either i loved his quote he's he said uh Michael Lorenzen said, how am I this strong? How am I this explosive? How am I this mobile? And how does this guy, talk about Trevor Bauer, and how does this guy throw as hard as me? <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, do, I thought it was uh, funny. If he could add any kind of velocity, it's, it'll help. I mean, Lorenzen is, to me, what the most, maybe the most fascinating guy. Uh, he's not the best pitcher. He's not the best hitter. He's just, I, there's, he just intrigues me. And uh, I hope the Reds can find ways to utilize uh, and get more value out of him next year. Oh, let's see. So, and and you're also making the case, right, that uh, Michael Lorenz should be the starting center fielder. I mean, I didn't make that case, but if you want me to, I've got time. Really, you would you would try to make that case? No, I mean, <laughs> I, I I could. I mean, I I can argue anything, Chad. I... Believe me, I've noticed. Uh, but wait a, uh, wait a second. <laughs> but that's probably not one we want. That's not a hill we want to die on, is it? No. Uh, no. no, I don't think anyone wants Lorenz to be the all day, the everyday center fielder, but man, I, I think that the Reds can get creative. Now, you had a piece at redlegnation.com this week that I thought was interesting, a way to look at, uh, you know, we all know that the, there's a juiced baseball this year, and uh, that's no secret, at least until the playoffs started. Yeah. And uh, and you took a look and kind of explored at which Reds hitters benefited the most from that juiced baseball. You want to tell us what, uh, what, what you found when you were looking at, uh, looking at that? Oh. 
I, I guess I'll start off with what I looked at was the home run rate per fly balls. Um, that way, you know, the, the juice baseball, the reason it's juiced is the seams are different than they used to be. And so the ball's getting less resistance in the air. So ground balls don't really matter. You're not getting the same effects on ground balls as you would be on fly balls. Um, so I tried to isolate just, just fly balls. Uh, now, Major League Baseball as a whole, their rate went up 2.6% from last year. So when you looked at the Reds, most of the guys did better than that 2.6%. Yeah. Um, you know, Jesse Winker was the top of the list, which surprised me. That surprised and I, I, me too, yeah. I, I think that maybe one of the reasons it surprised me so much is that he did miss time, so like I didn't really see, oh, he hit a lot of home runs, but it might have just been because, well, one, he didn't hit a lot of home runs last year, but two, he didn't play a full season either, so the, the total number wasn't there. So when I saw that he was up 14% versus last year, it's like, whoa, that's that's a really big jump, and I didn't feel like it was that different. Um yeah, he but, slugged 470. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, he 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 definitely showed power. I I just it, it was it was surprising that it was that high. Oh yeah, surprised me that he would top the list for for Reds. Now the other reason with Jesse Winker that maybe it was surprising is his ground ball rate was also way up. So he had a lot less fly balls than he did the year before. Mm-hmm. He just did more damage on them when he did hit them. Um, you know, Derek Dietrich was the next highest guy among guys that were with the Reds all year. Now again, he like Winker missed some time with injury and. But most of his damage came in the first half and, heck, even really in the first two months. I think after that three-home run game, he had, what, like two home runs the rest of the year? Yeah. But but that doesn't yeah. surprise me, anyway, that Dietrich would, yeah. be, would have benefited from the juiced ball. But, I mean, even guys like you know Suarez saw improvements. Uh, but his, his wasn't actually that big. His was 6.1%, which, you know, that's, that's twice as much as the average player uh, had in Major League Baseball. But, you know, he had a pretty high rate last year, too. Um yeah. He he's, just he hit he hit a few more fly balls this year. He's the guy that I would have expected if you just asked me who's you know because the guy you know he hit I mean, like ninety home um, runs this year. I would have expected him to top the list, and he did have a good mark. But you're, it surprised me he was not was he's like fourth or fifth on the Reds. Yeah. Um, now he he did lead the Reds in home runs per fly balls, so like he he definitely was taking advantage of it. Sure. It's just he also hit a bunch of home runs last year too. So yeah, it, there there wasn't as much room to grow, so to speak. Um, now, one of the interesting things is I looked at Aristides Aquino, who didn't play in the major leagues at all last year, so I used his minor league numbers, and he was up 12.3%. Mm-hmm. Um, now, there we all talked about and noticed, you know, he, he changed his mechanics this spring, so it, it's a very different approach, different kind of player. Um, so not surprising, we all saw what he did when he came up to the major leagues, but he also had a huge jump. Um, That's a good point, though, that we can't really attribute all of this jump to the juiced baseball. But it's a pretty good shorthand, I think, for you know uh, what the baseball has meant. Like with Aquino, obviously some of it is because he changed his approach and he's um, a different type of hitter. But uh, I think it's a pretty good, uh, quick way to look at at who improved. Uh, now, who the the see the three Reds with 200 plate appearances who had the least improvement. There were three guys in the negatives. One of them does not surprise me. The other two kind of surprised me a little bit. Yeah, well, the, the one that had the most negative was Yasiel Puig. Right. And and that's that's surprising on a few levels. One, you would think coming to the NL Central and Great American Ballpark, you'd do better than playing out west and in Dodger Stadium. Yeah. And that didn't happen. Uh, he, he was – his home run provide fly ball rate was actually still better than league average, but it was less than it was last year. Um, you know, 
Jose Peraza is probably the guy that I'm guessing didn't surprise you that was negative. Yeah, everything about Jose Peraza is negative, unfortunately. <laughs> I, mean, I don't want to go that far, but <laughs> no. yeah, I, 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 I wasn't surprised by him either. I think that he's just one of those guys that there's just not enough power there usually that, you know, he would truly be, you know, right. beneficial from something like this. Uh, the other guy that was negative that did surprise me was yeah. Philip Irvin. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Philip Urban's never been a guy that you're going to confuse with, say, Aristides Aquino, who hits the ball 9,000 feet when he hits the ball. But Philip Urban's a guy that does have some power in his bat, and you know, he he took a step backwards in terms of home runs for fly balls. He was negative 1.5 percent. That uh, yeah, that's uh, that's not good. I. <laughs> or is yeah. it? I don't know. You know, who knows? I mean, it, it's not good. I mean, obviously, when you're a negative number, it's it's not good. Um, now, uh, there, I don't know. I'm not a mathematician. I just pretend to be pretend to be a baseball mathematician on the internet. So, I mean, I would I would definitely say there's probably some error bars in here that yeah. we need to factor in, and 1.5 percent may fall in there. Um, I was told there would be no math. Well, whoever told you that was a liar. Oh, I hope okay. it wasn't me. <laughs> So anyway, I thought that was an interesting way to look at it, uh, just to kind of look at year over year, um, which get players that improved and uh, and regressed. So interesting. Uh, here's what I am interested with, Chad. Let's hear. You know, as you noted, baseball's playing different in the in the playoffs, and there's, I mean, I think that at this point it's a provable fact. It's not a question anymore. It 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 is a different baseball now. Whether it was done on purpose or not, that's that's kind of the bigger question. I mean, I think that everybody is pretty much in agreement that it's playing different. What baseball are we going to get next year? Because teams are going to start trying to build their roster for next year in two weeks. And depending on what baseball you're going to get might depend on what players you want to target. Yeah, I don't know what's going on. I'd love to know the full story. Uh, you know, obviously, Major League Baseball purchased Rawlings, I believe. They did, and, and so you know uh, something has been going on with the ball, and, and just in terms of a uh, the teams, you would think would want some kind of uh, assurances that what kind of ball we're going to get, just so we can kind of uh, strategize about how we want to put together our roster. And so, yeah, what if they go back? What if the playoff ball is the ball they're using all next season? Well, things change about how you construct your team, and I don't know. It's just a it's a big question mark hanging over baseball among many big question marks. <sighs> Yeah, well, I, hopefully the Reds have some inside information on that one, and uh, we just don't know it publicly yet. Right. Because I, 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 I can't imagine being a, a general manager or president of baseball operations or whatever their organization happens to be that makes these decisions. And, you know, uh, I don't think it's going to affect, you know, the, the best players in baseball. But those lower to mid-tier guys, it could make a real difference. And targeting the wrong guy because you have wrong information about what's going to happen equipment-wise next year could be a pretty big deal. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So the only other thing going on around uh, the nation this week is uh, the Arizona Fall League. Uh, Doug, you follow the Arizona Fall League uh, relatively closely, I think. Am I right? Uh, You are. So what can you tell us about the Arizona Fall League as it pertains to the Reds? I think one guy in particular is uh, opening some eyes out there, right? But, but give us an overview of, of the Reds that are playing in, in the Arizona Fall League, if you could. Well, the Reds have eight players out in the Arizona Fall League, and uh, for those who don't follow it nearly as closely as I do, which, oh, God help you if you do. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> but uh, 
basically it's it's the premier league statewide or uh, you know united states side of things for minor league baseball players uh after the season's over they play for six six weeks and then there's a championship game um teams tend to send some of their better prospects out there just kind of as you know to get them extra playing time to kind of get them ready for the next season just to kind of see how they stack up against other quote-unquote top tier talent um it, it's kind of changed in the way that some teams have handled it lately. Uh, it seems that the Reds have been more willing to send their top, per, you know, position guys out there, and not really so much their pitching guys out there, which makes sense. You know, pitchers get hurt, pitchers get tired a lot easier. Uh, you don't want them pitching while they're tired because that'll lead to injuries. So you don't you don't see as many top tier pitching prospects go out there unless it's somebody who's already missed a lot of the season. They're just trying to you know get them innings. Um, so the Reds sent a pretty stacked group of position guys out there. Uh, they've got Stuart Fairchild, who's an outfielder. Uh, Jose Garcia, who's their top shortstop prospect. Jonathan India, number five overall pick two years ago. And Tyler Stevenson, who was their number one pick back in 2015. It's a pretty loaded group, right? That's a pretty good group, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, now, pitching-wise, they didn't send anybody who was a top 25 prospect. Um, you know, Jordan Johnson's... The guy, he missed about half of the season. He's a starting pitcher. So they're just trying to get him back in there, get him some innings. He was working his way back on rehab uh, when the season ended. So this is, I mean, to me, at least it feels like just a way to get him, you know, back up, you know, some, some innings. So next year he's kind of got that that workload to build upon. And then they sent out three relievers. Uh, one guy kind of stands out a little bit more to me than the rest of them, uh, Dowry Moreta. Uh, he's got legitimate stuff. He dominated in Daytona this year probably more of a, a seventh inning guy in today's game. But I mean, he, you know, he'll throw 94, 95 every time out. Good breaking ball throw strikes. Uh, he's, he's having a pretty good season out there. He's given up two runs in nine innings. He's got two walks and eight strikeouts. like to see that. Uh, the other pitchers are, well, they're, they're not quite having the same kind of season. He is. Yeah. They're, they, they are, they're pitchers. Um, that's all we'll say about them. Let's talk about the guy I'm really wanting to talk about here. And you know where, where we're right. going. Tyler Stevenson, you know, I'm, I'm a Tyler Stevenson fan from way back. Um, and, you know, it, you can't draw a ton of conclusions. We're, we're still talking small sample size against, you know, the competition is, is decent. But, you know, um, these aren't big league pitchers. But still, Tyler Stevenson has acquitted himself very well, has he not? Uh, he has. And uh, I'm just going to drop this in here because you, you did kind of bring it up that making conclusions based off of the Arizona Fall League is probably not the greatest idea. Obviously, you want them to do better than not. You would You don't want to see your guys struggle. But Mike Trout absolutely, unequivocally got owned in the Arizona Fall League the one year he was out there. And the next year was his rookie season in the majors, and he's been the best player alive ever since. Okay, so, so what I'm hearing is Tyler Stevenson is better than Mike Trout. What you should have heard is Tyler Stevenson is going to be better than Mike Trout. Okay, all right, good, Okay, good. Just, I just wanted to clear that up. <laughs> but yes, Tyler Stevenson having a heck of a year out there. Yeah, Right now he's played in 11 games, hitting 341. He's got as many walks as strikeouts, six doubles, uh, hit a home run in the Rising Stars game. Um, doesn't show up in the stat line because it's it's not technically an all-star game. It's more of a top prospect showcase. He was the only red that made the team, uh, but he had a good showing that night. Uh, I mean, he's showing everything you want to see out there right now, Chad. Uh, defense has been good. He's thrown out. I, I Crap. I want to say 32% of the 
attempted base runners out there. Now, granted, small sample size, and you know, there's always the fact that you know, who knows what pitchers he's dealing with and how well they hold runners on. But uh, so he, I mean, he's he's shown well on both sides of the ball, and I mean, he had a good season, Double A. He's going to be in Triple A next year. I'm going to speak for you. Kind of exciting. <laughs> yeah. Kind of exciting. This is the guy the Reds hoped they had gotten when they drafted him number one, and they, obviously the injury problems early on. And I saw a quote, I think, I guess from a scout who said the Reds really need to hang on to this guy. That's a bat that's going to play well in the major league. So, um, you know, again, don't draw too many conclusions, but it's a little bit of a, a continuation of what we saw during the season. So there's, uh, to me, you know, I mean, obviously Hunter Green has this, this high ceiling, and uh, but of, of other Reds prospects, you know, I'm not sure that there's anyone that I'm as excited about right now as Tyler Stevenson. Uh, is that fair? I mean, I can't speak for you on this, so I can't tell you who you should or shouldn't be more excited about. Um, I'll say this much. I'm not even sure that Tyler Stevenson's the best Reds prospect out there right now. Really? Out in Arizona? Out in Arizona, yes. Lay it on me, man. I really like Jose Garcia. Oh, and that's yes. not and that's not me to say anything about Tyler Stevenson, who I think is a top 100 prospect in all of baseball. I... We've I discussed Garcia on the podcast before, I believe. I think the last time we, you were on, we talked about him. We have. I, I, I just I keep getting so many good reports on him. Great. Uh, he's, he's not having the season Tyler Stevenson's having uh, in Arizona. But again, we're talking about 11 and 12 games each. So not exactly a ton of information there to really kind of be like, oh, well, see, this guy's doing this, this guy's doing that. Um, but I, I, I really like what I'm hearing about Garcia, too. That's fantastic. Now... No. Uh, go ahead. You better say something else about Garcia. I, I wasn't. I was going to kind of go into somebody else. Yeah. Well, let me. That's who I was. Probably the same guy. Okay. Uh, seems like a continuation of what's been a uh, a disappointing year for uh, another guy. Is this the same guy we're t- thinking about? It would be. Yeah. Go ahead. I was going to say. Yeah. But on the flip side of that, we've got Jonathan India, who yeah. is currently hitting 148 in Arizona with 20 strikeouts in 16 games. Small sample. Yeah. It is a small sample, and he start he started off. I believe it was one for thirty-two. Uh, he's been hitting well ever since, but we're talking seven games since. So kind of like Stevenson had a good year this year, and then has continued out there. India's had a dis- had a disappointing year, largely not not terrible. I mean, there were some there were some positives to draw from it, but he's kind of you know not really distinguished himself out there either. And, and this is a guy that was at the Southeastern Conference a Player of the Year. That's a big time college baseball conference, and I, you know. I, he may put it all together. I expect he'll be back at Double A to start the year, and he may start hammering the ball because he does have all the talent in the world. But the question we're going to get, Doug, is: Is it time to be worried about Jonathan India? Do you have an opinion on that? I'll say two things, and I'll let people draw their own conclusions from it. One, I would definitely say his stock is down, and there are reasons to question exactly what he can be in the future. Yeah. Two. He reminds me a lot of now. I don't know how I want to put this out there, but he reminds me a lot of Philip Irvin in the sense that you can see the tools and the athleticism when you watch him play, but then when you look back at the numbers he puts up, they're just kind of like, eh. Yeah. Right. You 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 expect more based on what your eyes see than what's actually happening on the field. Uh, now both go both of those guys they. We're athletic. They could do a little bit of everything. I think that their tools are a little bit different, but the overall package, it's it's similar. Um, 
But Jonathan Indy has a 256 hitter in his first two seasons as a professional for the number five overall pick in 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 baseball. And it's not that you know he's was some guy who was drafted at 17 and he's super young for everywhere he's played. Yeah. He's 20. He's 23. He'll be 23 years old next season, and he's a 256 minor league hitter. And while I said this before, I know that people are like, "Well, you always talk to us about how batting average doesn't matter," and I think that it does in the minor leagues a little bit. In the major leagues, it's not nearly as important, but in the minor leagues, the top-tier guys should be better than the guys they're playing against, unless there's a, a circumstance where you know it's a 17-year-old kid who's playing an A-ball or something like that. When you're way younger than everybody else, it's different. But that hasn't been the case for Jonathan India. And if you're a 250 hitter against guys in single-A and double-A when you're 21 and 22... <sighs> I mean, that, that that really does open up some legitimate reasons to question exactly what you can do moving forward. Yeah, I got with his pedigree you would expect to have been able to uh, maybe not dominate those levels, but certainly be able to perform at a higher level than he has. But uh, let me ask this question. You can just give a, a quick answer, and then we'll move into some viewer mail. Um, this is the way I feel, so I'm going to extrapolate it to everyone. But no one would be surprised, though, if starting next year, India started hammering the ball. And, I mean, he's got those he's got those tools that if he he turned into the guy we expected, you know, beginning on opening day next year, I don't think anyone would be particularly surprised by that, right? We're not we're not giving up on the chance of that happening. Well, definitely not. I mean, I'll just throw this out here. You know, in Double A, he hit two seventy this year, but it didn't come with any power. But he walked almost as often as he struck out. So if whatever was keeping him from reaching that power that he didn't hit for in double-A last year shows up, and I think that anybody who's watched him play before knows he's got real could, power, right. mm-hmm. then, I mean, that's that's what's missing right now. So, Fingers crossed. So uh, let's, uh, let's, let's answer some questions. You want to? I'm, I am ready for questions. Oh, we've got some good ones. We've got some good ones this week. This is obviously our Hash Brown viewer mail segment where you can ask uh, questions to be answered about, about the Reds or about anything you want. And uh, as always, these are actual questions from actual viewers, actual letters. Physically receive these letters in the mail from actual viewers of the podcast. The first one is from uh, Chad Dotson at Dotson C on Twitter. This question was inspired by a discussion we had a moment ago. Tyler Stevenson and Mike Trout. Will there ever be a time, ever, that Tyler Stevenson is a better baseball player than Mike Trout, and let me let me uh, frame frame the question here. Tyler Stevenson is twenty three years old right now; just turned twenty three. Mike Trout is impossibly only uh, twenty eight. <laughs> I mean, it's impossible. It's, it's funny to say that out loud and think about it. <laughs> yeah, their birthday uh, both come within a couple weeks of each other, so they're you know almost exactly. He's almost exactly five years older. Than, Trout is than than Stevenson. Will there ever be a time that Tyler Stevenson, who we expect is going to be have a chance to be a pretty good Major League Baseball player, will ever be better than Mike Trout? Right, this is me giving you the most lawyer answer ever. <laughs> yes. Because I expect Mike Trout as the older person to unfortunately pass away before Tyler Stevenson does. Oh. Therefore, at that point in time, simply because he's alive and can hold a baseball, Tyler Stevenson will be I like it. You're using the actuarial tables to uh, answer this question. Outstanding. Yes, he has expected yeah. lifespan would be shorter at this point. But until the day Trout passes away, I think probably the answer is no. 
Yeah, and I, I you know, it, it, that's again, that's nothing against Tyler Stevens. Yes. I just I, Mike Trout might be the greatest baseball player to ever live. <laughs> so even when he's forty years old and ready to hang him up, at that point, Tyler Stevens is going to be a mid thirty year old catcher. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it uh, that's j- just how things work. You don't expect guys in their mid thirties that are catchers to still kind of be good. Yeah, even if Stevenson becomes an all-star, a big league all-star, you just, you know, that's uh, people underestimate how good Mike Trout is. So I just, I don't know, I wanted to talk about uh, Mike Trout and, and dream of him playing for the Reds. He's only 28. Oh, my gosh. I would sign him to a 40-year contract if I, if I could. I wish you could because that means you'd be, uh, well, you'd, you'd be doing pretty well off for yourself there. There you go, really. I wish I had that kind of money. I don't think I'd spend it on 40 years of Mike Trout, though. All right, so let's. Uh, the next uh, group of questions are going to come from our uh, friends at patreon.com slash redlegradio, where you can go to support the podcast. And uh, some of our uh, some of our, got, our uh, friends have asked us some, uh, some very good questions this week. I'm excited to get into some of these. The first one comes from Nathan Price. Nathan asks, one of the areas I believe the Reds need to improve upon in the offseason is shortstop. Accurate, Nathan. The Angels are always pitching starved. Anderton Simmons isn't a massive upgrade with the bat, but is an overall upgrade with only one year left. Would Anthony DiScalfani or Tyler Malley in a lower prospect get the deal done? That's the first part of that question. And if it did, would you be open to bringing a Tanner Roark or a veteran-type starter back on a one-year deal? I really like the value Roark gave the Reds, and if he was open to a one- to two-year deal at 7 to $14 million total value, I think it would serve the Reds well. Faults, asks Nathan. So, good question. Uh, the first part of that... Um, a lot of it depends on I'll go ahead and answer this one first and then let you jump in I like Simmons he's not a massive upgrade but he would be an upgrade I I would prefer to go elsewhere than one year of Anderton Simmons especially if you're giving up somebody like Tyler Malley uh, even Di Sclafani who's been awfully good when he's healthy the Reds only have him for a year and he's probably not a, a huge asset on the trade market but I wouldn't mind trading either of those guys in the right type of deal I just, I'd be hesitant to to give up a whole lot for a guy like Andrelton Simmons, so I don't know. That's that's my opinion. Any thoughts on that? On that part of it? Yeah, I, I'm I'm pretty much with you. I I would have no problem with Andrelton Simmons coming in. I definitely wouldn't give up either of those two players yeah. or a good prospect for him. Not not off the season he's coming off of. Again, we talked about the juice baseball this year. He had a 6.73 OPS. He was a really really bad hitter this year. Um, and you know it, it was just two years ago he was a borderline MVP candidate. So, that you, you know, you kind of do want to factor that in a little bit. But with one year left coming off of an absolutely terrible season, I, I think that if I'm going to give up real talent to try and go out and get somebody on a one-year deal, I'm going to look for somebody who is coming off of a better year. Unstated is the fact that Simmons is among I – mean, he may be the best defensive shortstop I've ever seen in my life. I mean, he's really in that conversation. He's He's been very, very good. But, you know, an aging short – not that he's that old, but uh, a shortstop – Probably not. Now, the other part of that question is, uh, would you be open to bringing a Tanner Roark or a veteran-type starter back on a one-year deal? Absolutely. I, I think that the Reds should always be looking to add a guys like that um, on short-term deals. Uh, I thought Tanner Roark worked out very well, and the Reds got, ended up getting some some value out of him at the trade deadline. I uh, yeah, got no problem with a guy like that, and the Reds may have to do that to fill out the rotation depending on what else happens, but uh, I'm certainly open on that. Any thoughts? I'm, I'm with you. I think that they've got an opening at that number five spot, and you know, if Tyler Malley goes out and wins it in spring training, that's great. But I also don't think he performed well enough to just kind of hand him that job and not look for an upgrade somewhere else if it's there. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. So uh, Joe Farsing asks the question at Patreon. Uh, 
and I'm going to let you answer this first if you if you can. If not, uh, I'll I'll go ahead and hit it. But uh, what would your walk up song be? And the second question, uh, or maybe a corollary to the first, um, your entrance music from the bullpen. So of course, obviously, players uh, when they come up to bat or when they come into the bullpen in from the bullpen, they uh, have their their walk up songs. Uh, what would your walk up song be, Doug Gray? Oof. Yeah, I feel like I'm copying at this point, but I just love it, and I don't care. I would absolutely go with Baby Shark. Baby Shark? You're gonna sing a little bit of that for us today, today, Doug? I'm I, I'm not. Oh, come no, on. No one wants to hear that, but it's wonderful, and I don't care what you say about it. It's great. <laughs> it's really a fun uh, time when uh, when we see that. Uh, now his name I'm blanking on his name for the uh, Nationals. Um, Unfortunately, I am too. Now that you said that. Yeah. Um, Everybody knows. <laughs> right. So, uh, but yeah, no, that's fun. That's not. That's not where I'm going to go. My, that's okay. You don't have to come up to my walk-up song. I have to. <laughs> my my song is going to be Funky Town. Just because I can, see, I can see that. Hey, Funky Town, and you know I'm nothing if not funky. <laughs> so mm. that's good. But my entrance music from the bullpen would be Electric Avenue. Ooh. And then we'll take it higher. So, then we'll take it higher. All right, I had to drop a little funky town on you. Although I got to say, you know, my uh, my son, um, as he's taking his shower in in the evenings, he's been listening to uh, "Come On Eileen" and uh, some Hall and Oates song and uh, a bunch of the '80s stuff. I'm like, really, dude? So, you know, hey, what's wrong with that? It sounds great. It's great. No, it's fantastic. My wife and I are kind of looking at each other like, what's what's up with this kid? And and my explanation was, you know, when I was uh, his age. And one of my buddies said, hey, I heard this great old song. Well, there's really no way to go listen to that song. hope it came that's, on the radio or something. Yeah, that's true. You'd, have to, you'd really have to go search it out somewhere. <laughs> right. One of his buddies told him, oh, you got to hear this Come On Eileen. And, and he's it took like, him five seconds to find it. Yeah, just pull out his phone and pull it up. So um, uh, both my kids have a pretty good, uh, pretty good musical, uh, musical taste. And I think that, that that's what I attribute it to. So that's a little aside from Joe's question. Good question. Kyle oh, Kaplan. Uh, uh, go ahead. Oh, oh, I was going to say, I, I, didn't, I didn't throw out my entrance music song, so I'm oh, going yeah. to do that real quick. We're going to go with Don't Stop Me Now by Queen. Uh, Don't Stop Me Now. I'm going to stop I'm gonna stop you now. Come on. Queen. I, I can't forgive Queen because uh, that, that movie last year, Bohemian Rhapsody, it was a good movie. I enjoyed it. But uh, that Rami Malek won Best Actor, and that was a joke. Of an, of, <laughs> I mean, ridiculous. It's, uh, I, I think that it was just because the other performances in that movie were really bad. Well, maybe. So a solid performance really stood out. Well, I think it, I mean, the movie was fun. I, I had no problem with the movie, but uh, Rami Malek should have won the award Best Actor who kind of looks like Freddie Mercury. I mean, <laughs> that's the only reason he got it. Look, all I'm saying is I want that to be an award now. <laughs> it should be, <laughs> right? Every, every year, actor who looks most like Freddie Mercury. I love it. I love it. Kyle Kapler asks, hash brown viewer mail, Thoughts on Omar Narvaez? See, I don't even know how to pronounce this. Narvaez? Omar Narvaez as a trade candidate to upgrade the catcher position. And I've actually seen him play, and I can't remember how um, his name is pronounced. He obviously uh, was with the White Sox until this year and then had a really good year for the, well, I don't know if a really good year, but a, a good year for the Seattle Mariners. Uh, catcher, 27 years old, um, hit. See, I had it pulled up here, so now I can't now I can't find it. Two seventy eight, three fifty three on base, four sixty slugging, twenty two homers this year as a catcher for uh, the Mariners. So a, a a good bat as a catcher uh, does not rate well 
defensively in terms of the metrics, but I don't know what to make of those ever. So, um, do you have any thoughts on uh, Omar Narvaez? 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 Narvaez. Narvaez. It has to be Narvaez because there's the uh, um, it's on the A, so the accent's on the A. So, anyway, any thoughts? I he wouldn't be my first choice at catcher. I I still think they need to just go all in and somehow find a way to get Yasmani Grandal. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Narvaez can hit. Uh, he can really hit. I think he'd be a big upgrade for the offense. He's always hit. He always got on base. Yeah. And he's got some pop in his bat. Um, but defensively, he's a pretty poor pitch framer. And I just don't know how much I'd be willing to give that up for an upgrade on the offense. I, I think that the pitching is pretty good. And so yeah. it just all depends. But I, I wouldn't be opposed if they acquired him. But he definitely wouldn't be my first target either. Yeah, I'd be 28 next year, and uh, he's an upgrade over Kirk Casale. And I, I don't have any issues with Casale. I like Kirk Casale. He's been good since he came to Cincinnati. But uh, he's probably an upgrade there. And he probably help, makes the Reds marginally better, which, as we've discussed, we should be trying to get better on the margins. But that's a position where you like to see the Reds make a splash, as you noted. Please, Yasmani Grandal, bring him back. So... Good question, uh, Kyle Capper. Kyle, ask us another mo- another question here that, that related to movies. For some reason, we've started to get a movie question, at least one every single week, because people are understanding that I'm probably more obsessed with movies than I am the, the Reds. Kyle's question is, what's your favorite classic scary movie? Do you have a f- favorite classic scary movie? I mean, I don't know how far back we need to go for them to be classic, but uh, I'm, I'm assuming the 80s are going to qualify. Yeah, that would be qualify. Some of the ones I'm going to list are, are 80s. I mean, and I, I know they're not the best. I know that some people find them cheesy, but it's what I grew up with and what I loved for whatever reason. But pretty much just the entire Friday the 13th series. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, of course they're cheesy, but those 80s horror movies were intended to be cheesy and also scary. Uh, I mentioned my son a moment ago, and he and his buddies have gotten really into uh, getting together on uh, you know a Saturday night and uh, spending the night at somebody's house and watching scary movies you know they think it's hilarious because a couple of them you know like to scream and get scared easily and so they laugh and you know how kids are but uh they watch the conjuring have you seen the conjuring they watch the first two two i don't know how many there are but they watch conjuring and conjuring two have you seen either of those i have are they scary i'm it depends on the kind of person you are but i thought they were yeah they scared my, my son and his friends um i've not seen them uh i'm not a big horror movie guy so that's the way i need to frame my answer here but you know when i was when i was growing up we did the same thing with with scary movies for me and i guess my generation i'm a little older than than doug um nightmare on elm street was the kind of gold standard for uh you know getting but together with your buddies and and watching a scary movie but uh as i've gotten older i I don't know if you include the shining in that stanley kubrick's the shining uh see for me like that that went through my mind but i thought more like that's more of a thriller than a scary movie to me and i understand that some people would consider them the same some people wouldn't yeah. I disqualified that from me because I thought more of a thriller than a scary movie, but that's just my own personal interpretation. Yeah, it depends on your definition. I mean, you know, The Exorcist was one uh, that we that we watched uh, back in the day. Scary. Psycho, if you're looking for a classic one, I guess you know, it depends, again, on your definition. Um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Mm. Uh, but now, now, let me say this. I'm Again, I'm not a big horror movie guy. There was a movie that came out, I guess it was last year, that um, was classified as a scary movie. That uh, uh, horror, I think it was the genre. It was labeled as a as a horror film that I thought was 
just incredible. And it's called A Quiet Place. And it stars uh, John Krasinski, the guy from The Office, and his wife, Emily Blunt. I think Krasinski wrote and directed it. I know he directed it. I'm pretty sure he wrote it as well. Have you seen A, a Quiet Place, Doug? I have not. Let me tell you. I, I, I know what you're talking about, though. I just I have not actually gotten around to watching it. You would get a, a kick out of that. I think it's uh, it's uh, on uh, one of the streaming services right now. But It, it, it is. I actually saw it the other day uh, when I was browsing somewhere. I just yeah, remember. Netflix or somewhere. So, But it's, uh, it is so well crafted and it does have scary moments but it's it's more of a it's really tense throughout and just an incredible movie i mean it blew me away and i don't like that type of movie generally but that was a great one so um all right good question kyle nathan connor asks the reds appear very deliberate in their actions this month let me say first not a whole lot can be done yet until the offseason actually begins um, but uh, Dick Williams has been clear, Nathan says, during his interviews on the team's spending power this winter, when you consider the stated goal of the playoffs alongside coaching hires that show an intent to establish organizational-wide player development tactics that, are, tactics that are more cutting edge than we're used to seeing, does this also signal a shift in how the front office sees the value in their AAA, AA talent? In other words, instead of carving a path to Great American Ballpark for the Stevensons and Indias, are we more likely to see them used to acquire current assets like what we saw with uh, Taylor Trammell, so trading uh, guys like that to get guys that can help the big league team. If player development at the lowest levels of the minors provides big returns, could also provide valuable pieces for the MLB level acquisitions. So uh, that's a, there's a lot to unpack there, and uh, this is kind of right in your in your bailiwick, which is uh, minor league stuff. I think that absolutely to me there's an intent to uh, to to improve the production of uh, the minor league talent. By, I think the Turner Award firing sort of signaled that the Reds are not happy with the way organization-wide things are going on the hitting front. They recognize and handing over the pitching last year to Derek Johnson and hiring Kyle Bodie this year. Uh, they they know they have to focus on development, and and I think everyone would agree they've not excelled in comparison with their peers, the other teams around the league in development. But. Uh, the question, does this also signal a shift in how the front office sees the value in their AAA, AA talent? Um, I, you can jump in if you want to on that one. I think there's just not a ton of AAA, AA talent right now. Is that fair? I think that is fair, yes. So, you know, I think uh, they, they're realistic about what they've got. Um, so are we more likely to see them used to acquire current assets like trading? Let me, let me rephrase that. The guys like Stevenson's and, and India's, and I guess maybe Nicoladolo would be in that mix. But uh, do you think those guys, the Reds are going to stick with those guys, or try to, or are they more likely to be dealt? That's a really tough question, but I'm going to ask you to weigh in on it. I think it could go either way. Uh, one, it always depends on who's available. You're not going to trade a Tyler Stevenson for a number four starter, but let's just say that for whatever reason. Mookie Betts becomes available. Francisco Lindor becomes available. You're going to trade Tyler Stevenson for that guy. And it's going, to take, it's going to take more than just Tyler Stevenson. But if they say, hey, we want Tyler Stevenson and something else, you're not hanging up that phone. You're going to start looking at, well, what's this something else? Um, so it, it really does probably depend on exactly what's out there to be had and what the Reds feel that they need to go get. I mean, obviously, I threw out two of the best players in baseball, but there's also a chance that they're both available. I mean, we've heard rumors that both of them could be available this offseason. Right. 
Um, if you're going to get elite talent, you've got to give up elite prospects, assuming that they, you're going to be trading from your prospect horde of, of players. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't know that. Uh, just to, to address the, the sort kind of the thrust, I think of what Nathan's question was. I don't know that we're seeing any signal in what they're what they're doing. But but they should be open to all of it, right? That's what yeah, you're saying. I mean, right? uh, yeah, yeah. Because I mean, as we've said this several times now, you want to improve what you've got. And I mean, even if it's in the short term, it you know, as he said, with what Dick Williams has been saying, one of the things he's saying is. The playoffs is what it's our goal for 2020. We don't want to take that next marginal step like we did this year. The playoffs is the goal. And if that's the goal, then maybe you worry more short term than you do long term right now. And you figure out the long term as you go forward. Yeah, absolutely. Um, oh, Nathan has another question. Uh, Nathan uh, Connor asked a question last week. This is this, this kind of flows right from his question last week. Last week he asked the question who's the better bets? Mookie bets. Or Dickie Betts. Dickie Betts, of course, the uh, guitarist, singer-songwriter, uh, one of the founding members of the Allman Brothers Band. His question this week, much in that same vein, Tommy Helms or LaVon Helm? LaVon Helm, of course, uh, known uh, probably uh, mostly for uh, being uh, a member of The Band. That, that was the name of the band, Doug. It was The Band. Yeah, I found that out about eight minutes before we started recording this because I had literally never heard of really? LaVon Helm before that. Because you knew him mostly as uh, Loretta Lynn's father in uh, Coal Miner's Daughter, right? I mean, do you he, want me to lie to the listeners? He played he, pl he played Loretta Lynn's father in Coal Miner's Daughter, which was largely filmed in my home county. You should know everything about that movie, Doug. I, I should know a lot of things that I don't know, Chad. <laughs> so the question is Tommy Helms or LaVon Helm? Tommy Helms, of course. Um, rookie of the year, I believe. Uh, yeah, he was rookie of the year. Made all, a couple of all-star teams uh, with the Reds from 64 to 71. He played with the Reds. Traded away in a, a pretty famous deal, I think. He went to Houston for some other second baseman. Um, Morgan. Morgan? Was that his name? Morgan Maybe. Morgan Freeman. So sounds sounds vaguely familiar. Morgan. I don't know. He probably he probably didn't turn out to be that good. That's yeah. why we don't remember him. But uh, but Tommy Helms, a member of the Reds Hall of Fame, uh, won a couple Gold Gloves, a couple All Star teams. You know, um, managed the Reds after uh, your buddy Pete Rose got uh, suspended in '89. That was the interim manager for the rest of the season. Um, so who are you taking, Tommy Helms or Levon Helm? You know, I'm a baseball guy, not really a music guy. I gotta go with Tommy Helms. Oh, Doug, 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 Doug. I I know. I can I can tell you're disappointed, and that's okay. I've been disappointing people my whole life. <laughs> I'm a Tommy Helms guy. Okay, he had a good Reds <laughs> career. Nothing against Tommy Helms, but you know, every so often I just have to put on the weight. To me, a top five song of all time. Top five rock song of all time, The Weight, and that just it blows me away every time. And so, uh, and Levon Helm was on that. Plus, hey, Coal Miner's Daughter, I'm going with Levon Helm. So we're going to have I mean, to disagree he, on this one. I mean, he is a double threat, so I get it. He is a double threat, absolutely. He's the Michael Lorenzen of the people with Helm in their last name. <laughs> exactly. So I look forward to seeing who t uh, Nathan Connor comes up with next week. Next question from patreon.com slash Radio is from John Kennedy. You know, if we ever have a Patreon 
elections. I bet John Kennedy will run for something, don't you think? I hope so, because that means uh, he really doesn't have to invest in political signs. So he can just, <laughs> just grab you know, some. Kinda, yeah. Yeah, just, just they're already made. Head up to the Northeast and grab a few. Um, John asked if the Reds fail to reach the postseason in 2020. Okay, first of all, I'm going to disagree with the premise of this. <laughs> what? There's no way they're going to fail to reach the postseason in 2020. You agree with that. There's a, It's a 100% the Reds are going to be in the, in the postseason next year, right? 99.99%, with the other 0.001% being, for some reason, the asteroid gets here and takes us all out first. Okay, I'll, I'll allow it. If the Reds fail to reach the postseason, John asks, uh, in 2020, that's their stated goal, and say they don't make it in 21 either. John! He asks, will the Castellinis be sellers themselves? Any sense of that being a possibility? Uh, my... Uh, answer to that is there's no way to know um but i would doubt it do you have any thoughts on that? that's a tough question it's just difficult to know yeah i i don't think so I, I think that from everything that we've seen bob kathleen loves baseball he loves the reds he's very passionate about it i i don't i don't see him selling i think that his shares of the team are just gonna be passed along when he's gone yeah he gets a lot of criticism bob kathleen does and some of it is uh, is uh, very valid criticism, but he also gets compared sometimes to Mike Brown uh, across the across the way there um, with the Bengals, and I think it's unfair. Castellani is a big time Reds fan. He wants the Reds to succeed. He has not always done the things that will help the Reds succeed. Sometimes because of an unwillingness to spend the money, perhaps, and sometimes because he just is too much of a fan and gets too invested. Um, you know, but he's done a lot of good things for the Reds. He did bring the playoffs back to the to the Reds uh, for a brief period of time, and I love all the stuff they do off the field in terms of improving the stadium and all the you know the the throwback stuff this year was great, and you know the investments in the Hall of Fame and all. I, I'm, I love the historical. I love all that stuff, but it's time it's time for a winner on the field, and um, I don't sense that's a possibility. I'm with Doug. I think that probably he's here as long as he wants to be here, which is probably forever. Um, but, uh, you know, I've been critical of him too. Go back and look at my piece for Cincinnati magazine, where I go through each and every one of those promises they made when, uh, Castellini's ownership group bought the team and they have flunked on pretty much all of them. They whiffed on just about every single one of those promises they made to Reds fans. So it's time. I mean, it's, he needs, and he's, he's gotten out of the way more this year. I think we would agree with that, but, uh, it's time, right? I hope so. <laughs> Let me ask you this. Are there, uh, all joking aside, how are we going to feel if the Reds don't make the postseason either of the next two teams, next two seasons? Uh, I'm going to have a. I'm going to. It's, it's going to be hard. I mean, I'm I'm certainly going to be disappointed. Yeah, I'm going to be more than disappointed. Um, I'm going to. But I also feel like I'll. The, I, depending on what they do, I'm going to have a good feeling before the season even starts as to whether I should actually be hopeful for it or not. Like, I feel like that, at least heading into 2020, I know exactly what they need to do, or at least in terms of where they need to add. Yeah. And if they don't do that, then I'm not going to feel exactly confident going into the season. Yeah, if they don't get somewhere approximating, quote-unquote, all-in, then yeah, I'm the same way. So, I don't know. It's going to be a really interesting offseason. Good question. Good question, John. Uh, Andrew Scott Wills asks, I'm halfway through the MVP machine, which is a book that's sitting on my nightstand. I have not read it yet. And I have to admit, I'm getting excited about the interesting hire of Kyle Bodie. Now, Andrew's question is probably more uh, 
directed at you, Doug. Who are Bodie's top minor league projects? And of course, Cal Bodie, the uh, driveline guy, who is uh, really kind of going to be in charge of uh, a lot of the development, along with obviously uh, Derek Johnson. But of, of, he's he's focusing on the minor leagues. So, who are his top minor league projects? Do you have any names that pop out at you? You know, I, I really don't, and I I think there's a reason for this. Now, Kyle himself doesn't actually work with too many players individually. Uh, he kind of just oversees a lot of the things that have been going on at Driveline, um, you know, developing the systems that they have in place on, you know, why this is our training method, this is what we need to do, this is how we're going to get there, things like that. Um, you know, I, I believe that he said, and I, I hope I'm not getting this wrong, uh, that he really only works with like four or five guys individually. Now, obviously, everybody knows Trevor Bauer's one of those guys. Um, but I, 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 nobody is really jumping out as far as like, oh, he really did something with this guy beyond Trevor Bauer either. Who are, let's ask this, ask, ask the question this way, easy for me to say. Who are the most naturally talented pitchers the Reds have in the minor league system uh, who could maybe benefit from some instruction like this? Here's, here's my top three. And you tell me if I'm somewhere in the neighborhood. Natural talent. Hunter Green, um, Nick Lodolo, and uh, that's all I've got. Cody Reed. I don't know. Tony Santion. Tony Santion, yes. That'd be my my third guy. Okay, I'm with you. Okay. So if those guys can make improvement with Hunter Green, it's staying healthy. Um, but if I, those, if, I, I think that's the same thing for either of the other well, guys too. <laughs> true, true, absolutely. But uh, if those guys, get, if Bodie can help them get somewhere approximating their ceiling, those are three uh, somewhat close to studs, right? I mean, at least uh, top half of the rotation guys. Absolutely. All right. So please, okay. please, Kyle. He will, be, he will be worth his weight in. Oh my gosh. I don't know, plutonium. Whatever. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Oh mercy! Good question, Andrew. Um, and I'm I'm like you. I'm just really, really excited about the the possibilities that the hiring of Kyle Bodie presents for this Reds organization. And again, it's it's sort of a, a continuation of things we've seen over the last uh, you know twelve to eighteen months that make you think that there's different things going on. I'm ready for it to translate to the field. Nathan Sturworth asks at Patreon.com/slash/RedLegRadio. Who are your favorite Jim Bowden reclamation projects or diamond in the rough acquisitions? My two favorites, says Nathan, are Ron Gant and Pete Shurick. Uh Pete Shurick was going to be my answer. I don't know that Ron Gant quite qualifies as a reclamation project. He would have been a pretty good player for the Braves. Um, but uh, Pete Shurick, man, that's my favorite. That guy came out of nowhere and ended up being, you know, really one of the better starters in the league uh, out of nowhere. For the Reds, do you have a G- favorite Jim Bowden uh, reclamation project? You know, I, I really don't, and the only reason I say that is because when Jim Bowden was really running the show, I was ten to fifteen years old. I didn't really think about who was a reclamation project so much back then. You know, you, every single answer you give is directed towards making me feel old. I mean, that's really getting frustrating, Doug. I mean, I, I'm just going to throw it out there. You invited me on the podcast, Chad. That's because Pete Shirk wasn't available. In 1995, Pete Shirk went 18-7 and seven with a 3.22 ERA. I mean, uh, you know, finished that's, second in Cy Young voting. I was going to say, that sounds like a pretty good season. It was a really good season, you know. Four wins above replacement. Uh, finished a second Cy Young voting. 
20th in MVP voting. So uh, that's that's my favorite. Pete Shorek, the old lefty. Not the old left-hander. That was Joe Nuxall. But the old lefty. So good question, uh, Nathan. Uh, now, Joe Farsing, uh, asked, we had a question from him earlier. He asked one on our Slack channel. If you're a if you're a member of uh, the Patreon group, one of the one of the bonuses is you get to get involved in our, our Slack channel. He asked a question on Slack that I wanted to mention here because I don't know. We talked about Anthony Rendon a lot, and he's playing for the Nationals, who now have uh, moved into the World Series. Do you have any thoughts about this question? And I didn't anticipate to asking this, so I'm kind of dropping it on you blindly. But Joe asked. Would Washington winning the World Series, if they were to win the World Series, change their urgency in keeping Anthony Rendon, as in the loss of another player be mitigated by a ring? And the flip side of that is what Nathan answered on the Slack channel, which is, you know, he thinks about it the opposite. If they win, then it incentivizes them to keep the core together. So you have any thoughts about that? Because uh, if we really want Anthony Rendon, how would uh, the Reds' chances of keeping him be affected by Washington winning the World Series, or would it? I don't think it would. I think that if they win, well, I the idea makes sense that they want to keep the core together. And if they don't win, well, they were really close. and They're going to want to keep the core together, right? Yeah. And, yeah. It, and it's, it's not like they don't know right now if they want to keep Anthony Rendon or not. Like that, that's something they've been planning about or planning and thinking about probably for two or three years now. You know, what are we going to do when he's a free agent? Like, what's what, what's the money we've got? And obviously that changes from year to year because they're probably thinking about, you know, can we keep Bryce Harper? And then that changed when they couldn't keep Bryce Harper. And then they got Patrick Corbin. That cost them money. So that kind of changed things. But, you know, they've probably been thinking about this for at least the last year. Um, like I don't think that it's going to change in terms of the Nationals as to whether they want to keep him or not. It's just going to be a matter of does it make sense to pay him Two hundred and twenty million dollars, or yeah. whatever it's whatever it's going to take. Um, so I, I don't think that it affects the Reds one way or the other as far as what the Nationals are going to do. I think that he will actually reach free agency. Now, what he wants to do from there, that, that's up to him. Yeah, and I've said on here before. I think the fact they lost Harper is going to probably motivate them to try to keep Rendon this year. And I don't think that's affected by what the World Series or not. But uh, um, but you know, fun uh, fun run for them, and it's been fun to watch Rendon play because he's such a, a good player. What about the Nationals? They've never won 16 out of 18 in their entire franchise history since they came into Washington. They've won 16 of their last 18 now, and it gets them in the World Series. They picked the who, perfect time to go on a. Who did they win uh, those last four against? Um, you know, I'm going to let you have the joy of uh, letting our listeners in on that because I really love uh, I really love hearing it. They swept the St. Louis Cardinals. Oh, stupid Cardinals. I hate them. I'm glad when they get swept. But then again, they were in the playoffs and, and the Reds weren't. Uh, oh, we don't want to talk about that part of it. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I'm always Debbie Downer. All right. Time for the lightning round. You ready, Doug? I'm ready. All right. So these these questions are from Twitter.com slash Red Leg Radio, where you too can uh, ask questions of uh, us at uh Viewer mail questions of us at the podcast. The first one is kind of from Michael Smith, but I'm not going to take most of his question because we don't have enough time for some of these rants. But he asked if we could have a segment with with, uh, Doug where he rants about Pete Rose, fielding independent pitching. And the last one, though, is the one I want to ask you about, recipes from KFC. Now, I've been staying away from Twitter for a while. I presume that references something. Recipes from KFC. What have you been ranting about on that, uh, Doug? 
Nothing. That's that's the one thing I haven't been ranting about, but I'll tell you this. If you don't like KFC, we're not friends. Oh, I'm with you on that. Now, KFC, come on, man. Nothing wrong with KFC. You ever have the popcorn chicken from KFC? Yes, I have. Good stuff. Good stuff. Popcorn chicken or the McRib from McDonald's? I don't like McRibs. I've never had a McRib, so I don't know. I don't like I don't like barbecue sauce, which I, I'm sure everybody just yelled at their Gosh. radio, but... I'm sorry, guys. I'm the worst. I, but I, if I acknowledge I'm the worst, it makes it a oh, little bit better, right? Definitely the worst. I mean, you're yeah. going to make you're gonna make me defend a McRib sandwich. I've never had a McRib. I hate McDonald's. Despise McDonald's. But uh, yikes. Jacob William asks, other than money, that's a big other than, but other than money, what reasons could the front office give to a free agent to entice them to come to Cincinnati? Well, money's going to be the number one. I mean, that's what's going to be the biggest uh, factor in anyone coming to Cincinnati. Obviously, the number two factor, chili. No? <laughs> you know, I'm from Cincinnati. I love Cincinnati chili. Oh, I thought you were getting ready to say that. <laughs> People that aren't from Cincinnati, though, they are not going to be sold on the idea that that's going to make a difference. Not that it should either. I'm sorry, but I'll take an extra $4 million a year. Uh, over having access to chili, and I really like the chili, but yeah, I'm, honestly, I, I don't know what else you could offer them. It's not like you're saying, "Hey, come play for the Yankees in our storied history, and we make the playoffs every year." The Reds, you're like, "Oh, we went to the World Series in 1990 last, and we won our last series in 1995 before you were born." So, yeah, I mean, I think that it's. Uh... Here, here, here are here are the uh, the benefits. You get a chance to. We got playing time. You know, you're going to be a stud. You're going to be in the middle of the lineup, or you know, uh, less so in the rotation. But you can be a stud in Cincinnati, a superstar in Cincinnati, and you're on, we're on the cusp of being a team. You could be the guy that leads us back to the playoffs and is eternally loved in Cincinnati. But really, money is what it comes down to, right? Uh, yeah, but I mean. I, if, if I'm the player and be like, hey, if I go to another team and we win, I'm also that same guy. So, Money and security in terms of years. I mean, those are, you know. the. I, re- I, mean, I, I mean, how about this? That money will go a lot further in Cincinnati over the next eight years than it will just about anywhere else in the country you're going to go play baseball ah, at. Good point. Good that, I mean, point. that that that's about it. Uh, the next question on uh, Twitter comes from, and I'm going to, I want you to answer this one <laughs> because uh, I want to hear what you say. Charles Zollers asks, are you hashtag poach out? I guess poach. P-O-C-H-O-U-T. Are you hashtag poach out? Am I supposed to know what that means? I know what it means. I don't know what that means. Come on. Yes or no, are you? I'm going to go with no? Listen, it's a simple question. A baby could answer it. No. That is the correct answer. And so. (laughs) I'm terrified right now. (laughs) That question relates to Mauricio Pochettino, who is the uh, manager of Tottenham Hotspur in the uh, Premier League. Now I know why I don't understand anything. (laughs) This is is soccer, European football. Pochettino led Tottenham to the Champions League final for for the first time ever, just a scant, you know, four, four and a half months ago. Um, And uh, they were second in the Premier League. And Tottenham's been kind of not really an also-ram, but they're kind of a, you know, um, 
they're they've not been one of the the great teams in the Premier League uh, soccer history. And Pochettino has led them to heights they've never seen before, even though they haven't actually won anything. Uh, they lose when they get to the precipice, but they're awful this year. Tottenham has been terrible. I got up at 7.30 in the morning a week and a half ago and watched them lose 3-0 to Brighton and Hove Albion. Did you see that game, Doug? I did not. I don't wake up at 7.30 in the morning for just about anything. I got up on a Saturday morning at 7.30 a.m. to watch Tottenham Hotspur versus Brighton and Hove Albion. And I whined and complained about it for the rest of the day because they played awful. But sports, sports are the worst, aren't they? <laughs> they're the worst. But see, the Premier League has this thing where they fire managers like immediately. I mean, just like for no reason. And so they're tra- talking about. I mean, literally four months ago, he was in the Champions League final, and they're awful right now. But they, you know, we're you know not even halfway through the season yet, and and. They're talking about trying to wanting to fire him. So no, no question, don't fire him. He's been the best manager in the decade that I've been following Tottenham. Uh, he's certainly no Bill Nicholson, the greatest uh, manager in Tottenham history, but he's uh, fantastic. No, do not fire uh, Pochettino and Charles. I want you to uh, tweet me at Dotson C and let me know where you stand on that. Um, Burke Franklin at Burke underscore Franklin underscore ask if you can trade for one and only one. Who would you trade for if you're Dick Williams? Francisco Lindor or Mookie Betts? If you can only trade for one, it's easy. Very easy. Lindor, because he's got two years of control versus one. Yeah. You get Lindor for two years, you get Betts for one year. Um, You can argue over who's the better player on the field, but give me two years of Francisco Lindor over one year Mookie Betts any day. But, you know, I'm not going to complain if the Reds get either of those. Um, Let's see here. Uh... We've got a bunch of questions. Let's pick one of these from this uh, this viewer. All right, Adam Hanaski asks, hashtag viewer mail, do you think the front office believes that uh, Didi, I assume that means Didi Gregorius and not Derek Dietrich, Didi Grandall and maybe a pin arm gets this team deep into the playoffs? Well, you know, I, I, I might think that. You know... Uh. Didi Gregorius had a, he was injured this year and had a, had a bad season, but essentially has been a three and a half to four win player uh, the couple years before that. Um, if he can be a three and a half win player, that's a huge upgrade of what the Reds had at shortstop. Grandal's a huge upgrade of what they had at catcher if he's healthy, and then you know a pin arm whatever. But the Reds, as we've seen from the Nationals, you just have to sneak into the playoffs. You just have to get in. So in terms of going deep in the playoffs, I just think let's get in the playoffs. Anybody that's in the playoffs can go deep into the playoffs. Uh, so, you know, I would hope that that's not only what they do, but if that's what they do, I'd be pretty happy with that. What are your thoughts? Now, just to, make, just to clarify, the question was if the Reds think that that is enough, right? That is the question, yes. Okay. I hope they don't think that's enough because I don't think that's enough to get them to the playoffs. Agree, Unless a lot of other things went right for them. And I don't think so, they think that, but I think it could get them into the playoffs. I, I'll agree with that. I think that there's definitely a a path to making the playoffs if that's what they do. But I think that it would also involve other pieces doing things that weren't quite expected right. yeah. of them. Hope is not a strategy. 
um, hoping players get better. But yeah, I think the framing of that is get this, gets this team deep in the playoffs. I think you're talking about a team that's really a solid team that's going to make the playoffs and maybe it can go further. I don't know. I don't think it. No, I don't think that improves the team enough. Yeah, but, I mean, to me, that that feels like an 86, 87 win team. If that's all that they do. Yeah, which could sneak into the playoffs. And once you're in the playoffs again, we've seen wild card teams make runs. I mean, a, a team that I won't mention because we all do not like them won the World Series right. last decade with an 83-win team. Right, so it could be enough, but, yeah, I don't think – that's not a team that I'm willing to bet the ranch on, as we say. Nate at Jaja Brotherhood – that's a good good Twitter handle – hashtag viewer mail, hard or soft G in GIF? I just answered that question. Hard or soft G in GIF? Just like the peanut butter. There you go. Um, and if you don't know what a GIF is, where you been, man? Uh, let's see. Pete Wills at Petro's Wills asks, will Virginia return to the final four this year? I assume that uh, Pete is talking about the Virginia Cavaliers and he's asking about whether the men's lacrosse team who won the national championship will return to the final four this year. Do you have any thoughts about lacrosse, Doug? I do. Yes, they will. Cause yes. they are the best lacrosse team in the country. Thank you very much. Um, in the in the event, just to make sure we cover our bases, he may be talking about basketball. Will Virginia return mm-hmm. to the Final Four this year? The answer there is no. Hold on. Who is the Virginia head coach? Oh, Tony Bennett. And how good is he at being a basketball head coach? I don't know how good he is at being a coach, but I know he's dreamy. Have you ever looked at that guy? <laughs> oh, I man, have. Man, he's dreamy. <laughs> He's, I'll just fill you in. He's a really good basketball coach. He's a great basketball coach, and so no one will be surprised if Virginia does return to the Final Four. Uh, a pretty cool moment on the uh, on the grounds of the University of Virginia last week when uh, Tony Bennett, they had a big uh, concert on the lawn uh, at Virginia, and Tony Bennett, Coach Bennett, came out and introduced the musical act, the singer Tony Bennett. And so and it's a, everybody's mind melted. Well, the UVA Twitter account tweeted out. Uh, the uh, you know that Spider Man meme you know where they pointing at each other pointing at each other yeah it's <laughs> yeah. the best one <laughs> right so Tony uh, in basketball Virginia let me just say that quickly because y'all are going to hear me talking about Virginia all winter I'm sorry it's you know if you've listened to the podcast for any amount of time that's what I do in the winter um, I would not be surprised if they did they're going to be a lot better than team people expect they're picked to be fourth in the uh, ACC this year despite having three guys leave and make uh, NBA opening day rosters um, as rookies off last year's championship-winning team. They're going to be good. Mamadi D. Kite is going to be great. Braxton Key is going to be great. they got a, a great, great, great Casey Morsel as a freshman. It's going to be fantastic. Um, they're going to be legit. Um, I would not bet on them returning to the Final Four, but I do think they'll be top two in the ACC. Um, CBJ Sniper, Columbus Blue Jackets fan there, asks, what can we do to keep Cubs, Cubs fans out of Great American Ballpark? What do you think, Doug? What can we do to keep Cubs fans out of Great American Ballpark? Win more baseball games, and then Reds fans will buy more tickets. Seems simple enough, right? Well, I was going to suggest that uh, Cincinnati pass an ordinance that anyone wearing a blue shirt is banned from the city limits. Of Cincinnati. I, only, I only own one blue shirt, so I could, I could get down with this. The odds are pretty good in my favor if I just randomly show up one day that I would not be wearing a blue shirt. That law may not pass constitutional muster. So I'm going to go with your plan. Win. Win. you got to make those uh, those tickets be valuable to Reds fans. And they're not right now because the Reds have been largely garbage for all of recorded history. All right, Doug. 
Any final thoughts about the Cincinnati Reds right now? Uh, I hope that the offseason goes well. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> it has to. Uh, or for my mental health, it has to. Uh, you know where to find us uh, on Twitter at RedLegNation.com, uh, wherever. I'm not going to go through all that because we've gone a little bit long as usual this week. Um, thank you so much for listening. I'm blown away if any of you listen uh, this far every week. And the fact that so many of you subscribe blows me away. For Doug Gray and Pete Shurek, this is Chad Dotson saying so long, everyone. Thanks for listening to Red Leg Nation Radio from RedLegNation.com. Subscribe to Red Leg Nation Radio on iTunes or through your favorite podcast app. And join us for discussion of all things Reds at RedLegNation.com. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week.